BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank, be bold, venture wisely. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Well, Macy's announced that it was closing 150 stores across the country this week, including their massive spot anchoring Union Square. It's not going to happen tomorrow, but it will happen. And while cities predated department stores by a few millennia, for most of us alive, downtown department stores were a thing that signaled, hey, this is a city. So we'll share some memories of that Macy's, send it on its way as a cultural icon, and then we'll try to imagine our way together to some kind of future for these huge retail spaces. That's all coming up next after this news. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Our metropole here, San Francisco, is undergoing a strange and unprecedented transformation. From what I see, San Francisco is back, baby. There are people in bars and restaurants. The streets most places feel crowded. Poets are opening bars in North Beach. Things are beginning to work as they had and as they should. The vibes are immaculate. And we've got a built environment downtown. Huge retail stores and massive office towers that don't really fit this moment in city history. Like the old warehouses that became lofts when cargo shipping moved to Oakland, you have to believe that there's some value in those spaces if only we can find the right ways to unlock it. The latest and saddest announcement for many people is that Macy's, one of the city's iconic stores, is closing in Union Square. It's the heart of the whole area, and I find it impossible to imagine it being gone, even though, truth be told, I've probably only set foot inside a few times. Joining us to share his deeper memories of the place and what it meant for the city, we're joined by Peter Hartlob, culture critic for the San Francisco Chronicle. Welcome, Peter. I am not even going to try and play it cool. I am thrilled to be here. Big fan of yours and a lifetime (laughs) listener of KQED. Oh, nice. Hey, thank you, Peter. Um, So... First, what do we know about why Macy's made this decision? Yeah, I mean, we've had a lot of issues downtown. There's, you know, a lot of shifts nationally, internationally with what a mall means anymore. An indoor mall, much less an indoor mall that is six or seven stories tall and requires people to go up and down escalators like ants to get to where they want to go is not something that... um, 
would be built today. And certainly in San Francisco, there are a lot of issues going on downtown. There's a reinvention of that 40 or maybe 80 square blocks of downtown that that has caused a lot of shifts. We saw Nordstrom's close. So Macy's closing, I think it's a massive news story. I don't think it's a big shock. Mm. You know, while Macy's is a publicly listed company with all those pressures, I also read they're fighting off a takeover bid from a private equity firm. This is like Macy's Inc. And yeah. how much do we know about whether the store kind of needed to close or if this is the kind of restructuring that a company does because they don't want to be taken over by a private equity firm? Yeah, you know, I'm not a business reporter. I'm more of a historian, but um, it's very clear that Macy's answers to stockholders. Mm -hmm. The numbers have not been good lately. And you can see it in all kinds of businesses around the nation mm -hmm. that um, when things are going a little bit south, it's happened in a lot of, of the media industry, you're going to see some big cuts and the cuts seem to be getting more and more radical. I think I think it was 150 stores and this is just one of them. Yeah. So not, not a shock, not a shock to anybody. Yeah. I was out in Tracy one time some years ago looking at some warehouses that a company, San Francisco company, Prologis, had built. And the guy who was, you know, showing me around, you know, kind of pointed to them and said, people don't understand that we aren't building new malls. The mall is in there. <laughs> you know, yeah. as he pointed to this tilt-up <laughs> warehouse in the middle of what had been a cow pasture, you know. And that was years before the pandemic, of course. And then came the pandemic, right, which set off the, the kind of death spiral. But it was kind of everything was set up structurally to have these kinds of problems. Yeah, I mean, so much has changed. You know, I think you and I are both in the fast times at Ridgemont High <laughs> generation where, you know, there's nothing you'd rather do than just go in this big enclosed space that becomes this Petri dish of uh, shopping and hormones and Orange Julius. Um, that's not our world right now. People are not building these big giant structures that amazing to me in this beautiful city of San Francisco that the Westfield Mall and Macy's, you would build this big structure that has literally no windows to see outside mm -hmm. this beautiful city. We would not do that now. Everything mm -hmm. would have, if it was a enclosed building, have windows and um, be built a different way. Yeah. Um, Peter, technically, I think I'm like two years younger than you, which I think makes me the <laughs> mall rat generation. That was the defining okay. mall movie of my generation. I, I am so sorry to de-age you. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, everyone out there, listeners, it is writing prompt time. Um, we know you love a little free write. So here is the opportunity here. Your memories of Macy's, you know, something that happened within its walls or on the sidewalk in front of it, you know, misconnection in the suit aisle, a great date with a mysterious Brazilian person at the Cheesecake Factory. That Brazilian would be bewildered. Um, email us those stories at forum at kqed.org. Org. Or, of course, you can just call us, share your memories of Macy's, 866-733-6786. With Peter's help, we're going to make this show a little time capsule that our descendants can pull out and read as bedtime stories for their tiny robot children. So don't, don't, leave, us, don't leave us hanging. The number is 866-733-6786. Um, Peter, Macy's didn't start in San Francisco. Of course, it's Macy's Inc., but Macy's history locally does go back a long way, right, to the 1940s? It does. And, and it was a huge impact. It changed the city. Um, you look back into the 20s and 30s, 
Market Street was a dividing line, an invisible line, and my, my grandparents immigrated from Mexico in the 20s. I, I heard stories of my grandfather buying his first suit, but it wasn't up in Union Square. My grandparents didn't feel welcome there. It was on the other side of the line at the Biggie Emporium or J.C. JCPenney. Um, so there was this dividing line, but then Macy's, which was this pop culture sensation. I mean, it's in New York. It's in Miracle on 24, 34th Street in 1947. Um, suddenly, Macy's opens, and they change that. They decide this place is not just going to be a department store. It's going to be a cultural destination. This is going to be a place where 77 years of San Franciscans are going to have core memories with mm puppies in the window and Easter flower shows and every celebrity imaginable to this day coming through and selling us Adidas tracksuits and, uh, <laughs> you know, Ruth Asawa, they hired Ruth Asawa to... Amazing Japanese make, sculptor. Yeah. Yes, to make sculptures in the windows. They brought in Joe Montana and Dwight Clark to model the aforementioned Adidas suits. This became a center of San Francisco for all of San Francisco. Uh, yeah, I mean, where else or who else could bring together Joe Montana and Ruth Asawa? <laughs> good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what were the, in your life, what were the kinds of things where your parents would be like, well, all right, time to go to Macy's. You know, was it, were there things like that? Where that, that oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, you hop on the 38 gear, he drops you off right in front, and that's where you're going to do your school shopping. That's where you're going to, I believe, you know, just as my grandfather did at the Big E, I believe I bought my first suit at that Macy's. Mm -hmm. And, um, or, or just going there annually for traditions, you know, they encouraged window shopping there. They encouraged coming and not buying anything, knowing that maybe later in your life, you would be able to. They played the long game there. And they also made it intensely local. Um, even though it was a New York company, they put local people in charge, big, big ahead of its time. You go to Chase Center now and and uh, uh, Bake Sale Betty's is there and all these local businesses are selling you the food. Macy's did that in the 1960s and 70s, bringing in mamas from North Beach, still exists, still mm -hmm. makes a great omelet, into the basement. So people coming in there, they had that little flavor of home, this great place there. So they were very much, uh, you know, having people come in and, and just experiences, memories, building that along with the sales. Mm. Mm. A uh, listener uh, writes in to say, oh, no, oh, no, the world has come to an end. Macy's <laughs> is the only department store I like to shop, and I have shopped at Macy's Union Square for the 44 years I have lived in the Bay Area because it has such an enormous selection to choose from, and I like the vibe of the downtown location compared to smaller, bland suburban malls. Also, a cheer for Macy's Union Square Christmas windows with all those cute, adorable, adoptable kittens and cats. Let's also bring in caller uh, Joanne in Oakland. Welcome, Joanne. Hi, good morning. Hey, good morning. Tell us your story about Macy's. Um, well, I grew up in San Francisco. I'm a native San Franciscan, grew up in the 50s, and we would go downtown, and, it, and my sister and I and my mom, we would be dressed up. We would be wearing little gloves. Um, I actually sent this into the Chronicle, and it got printed mm -hmm. the other day. Mm -hmm. And 
it was part of a back-to-school ritual, go there, do a little shopping, go to Sommer and Kaufman on Market Street, and then go wind up at Macy's for Crunch Cake. So it's just a strong part of my childhood, and I've always loved that store. And it made me sad to hear that it was closing. Mm. And I know it's a reflection of what's going on in the retail world these days, but still, it's it's part of me that's going. Mm. You know, I, I once, uh, part of Colson Whitehead's book about New York, I think it's called The Colossus of New York or something like that. You know, he says, like, what makes someone, uh, someone who lives in New York is the memory of the thing that used to be there. You know, so like, you remember the dry cleaners, which is now a restaurant? Okay, you're now an official New Yorker because you have a, a part of the city carved only into your memory, no longer in the, in the city fabric. And I feel like, um, thank you so much for that call, Joanne. I feel like this is kind of one of those things that's going to be a dividing line. The people who remember, Macy's as, as a San Franciscan or as a Bay Area resident and the people who don't. Do I have you there, Peter? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, it, yeah I, I, I can tell you, you know, multiple uh, driving around the city. I see the ghosts. Um, and I also, though, I think it's important to focus also on some of the things that are that are still here um, and, and, and new things that are being being built. Um, a lot of people are mourning what's happening in Union Square. You know, not that long ago, everything south of Market was considered Skid Row. Not that long ago, Mission Bay was a place where people were burying bodies, not going to see a Warriors game. So San Francisco is a place that shifts a lot. And as we drive around and see these ghosts and the laundromat and the Fox Theater and all the things that, that we wish were still here, there's a lot of great new things coming around, too. Peter, I know that also you and I, uh, we are very high on San Francisco. I am, I am very. If I, if any billionaire real estate investors would like me to invest their portfolio in San Francisco real estate, yeah. I'm here. I'm here. Um, we're talking about the announced closing of Macy's in Union Square. Of course, it's not happening right away. It's part of 150 stores. They're shuttering across the country, but it is going to happen. We're joined by Peter Hartlob, culture critic for the San Francisco Chronicle, and we're going to keep talking with Peter about memories of Macy's as well as bringing some other folks to talk about the future of the area. We'd also love to get your memories of Macy's, things that happened within the walls, the kind of missed connections, the times that you spent there. You can email us those stories at forum at kqed.org or you can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. Help us build this time capsule. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about the announced closing of Macy's in Union Square, joined first by Peter Hartlob, culture critic for the San Francisco Chronicle and a fellow uh, booster of the city. Uh, we're going to get to a lot more of your calls and comments and our other guests. We've got to get to this call from Sue Ann in San Jose. Welcome, Sue Ann. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I have a great story, and I was in my car, and I was driving home, and I thought, you know, it's so funny I have to tell that. So a <laughs> first-time caller. Ah, welcome, welcome. Yeah, so I was, um, it was Christmas time, and I had gone um, up to stay in the city because this hotel, the Portman, used to wrap your gifts. So we'd go shopping, and then they would wrap our gifts, and we'd go out again. And it was when Macy's stayed open till midnight. So we were there very late, and I happened to say, oh, I need some more Christmas cards. And I was on the top floor, way in the corner, and somehow I got separated from my mom and my friends. So all of a sudden, I realized I'm standing in, in this area, and I thought, there is no one here. Oh, no. There is no one here. I'm thinking, where, where is everybody because I wasn't paying attention to the time. You know, it was just out shopping. And so I'm starting to walk, and I'm thinking, I'm going to be left in Macy's. And I thought, well, I could go down to the bedding department and sleep on the bed. Maybe an alarm will go <laughs> off, and maybe someone will find me. And so, Wait, you, how I, old are you? How old are you in this story? I'm in, my, I'm in like, my 20s or 30s. Okay, okay, all right. You're not a, you're, I'm, not, I'm not imagining a nine-year-old. Okay, got it. No, pre this is pre cell phones though, so you can't reach whoever. You're just at mercy of you know what how you're going to figure it out. So finally, I the escalators now are not working, and so I'm going down the escalators. Finally, see somebody. I said, "Do you work here? And how do you get out of here?" And so they said, "Follow me because you have to go out the employee entrance." And so I finally, you know, get to the bottom and get out of the employee entrance. And my mom and my friend were there. And they said, they said, if you're going to come out, you'd come out here. <laughs> so, but I had visions that I was going to find a bed, sleep in the bed. Yeah, like the book Corduroy. Yeah. Might as well shop all night, oh fill up some bags, <laughs> and then check out in the morning. Um, Sue Ann, I love that story. Um, that one, will, that one will stay with me. Thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to call in. And Peter Harlob, I have to ask you: dream or nightmare to be locked in Macy's? Oh, a dream. And I mean, <laughs> this is this is where the Macy's. It's a very good point. Is like that Tom Hanks airport movie, I think it was called The Terminal, where you just don't have to leave. It was built so that you could just live in Macy's for months, for years. There was a post office. It was the speakeasy of a post office. No one ever found it the first time without directions. There was a post office in the basement. You had your U.S. mail needs met. You had a mall with food in the, in the basement and Cheesecake Factory on top. Is there any other restaurant where you could be there for months months and eat a different meal every time. And, you know, you've got Ruth Asawa coming in. You've got, I, I, as a reporter, just as a reporter, interviewed David Beckham, 50 Cent, and Henry Winkler, all in Macy's. 
Okay. That place was completely self-contained. So your caller, I mean, that's a wonderful story, but I don't know that she should have identified herself. I mean, just find one of those mattresses. I think they were on floor three and, uh, and create yourself a little cubby hole and live there. It's not a bad life in Macy's. <laughs> I, uh, I want to bring in another caller. Let's bring in, uh, Annie Appleby. Welcome, Annie. Hi, how are you guys? Great. So as I understand it, your parents met while working at Macy's. They did. Oh, they met while working at Macy's. Um, my father was a department manager and my mom was a buyer for women's clothes. And my father was going out with this girl named Susan at the time. And somehow my mom and dad started talking and my parents both loved golf. So my father invited my mom out to play golf. And then they got married. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Susan. <laughs> That's what happened. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Susan. <laughs> um, so it was Macy's then because, you know, it was at the center of your life. Was it just a place you went all the time? Or was it just kind of like you'd pass by, you know, during Christmas shopping or whatever, and you'd be like, ah, oh, that's where mom and dad met. No, um, actually, my father was in charge of the San Jose store when I was a little kid. Mm. Um, so we lived in Cupertino. Mm. And then he got a promotion to run Ceremony. Um, and then we moved to Hillsboro. And then he got a promotion to run the San Francisco store. Oh. So I was in, well, I was in high school, I think, or maybe I was a little younger. Oh, I, no, I was younger because I, I was around 12 mm -hmm. or 11 when when that happened. So and you were like I the equivalent of like an army brat or like one of the campus kids, but like at the Macy's? Yeah, yeah, but I was a little fashionista. So I was so captivated with that store that I would insist that I would go in with my dad when he had to go in on Saturday mornings. When no one was there. So I had that store to myself. Oh, my gosh. And I would go to the shop on Union Square. I would wear designer clothes to, you know, sixth grade. <laughs> um, and I just loved that place. Oh, it was man. fantastic. How you how you feeling with the closure now? Well, it's the end of an era. Um, I'm really happy that I got to experience such a fabulous time. You know, it was so fun. We had so many good memories about that store. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much uh, for uh, for giving us a call, Annie, whose parents met working at Macy's, uh, the tiny fashionista running around the San Francisco Macy's, if you ever saw her uh, in that era. Um, I want to bring in um, another guest. Amy Campbell is a building a transformation and adaptive reuse leader at the big firm Gensler. Welcome, Amy. Thank you. Hello. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Um, so I know you and your firm have been involved with, you know, efforts to revitalize this area and areas like it, you know, across the country, thinking a lot about this, even before the pandemic. Um, how different do you think this Macy's situation is from, mm -hmm. you know, just a regular old department store going out somewhere? Yeah, I, I don't think it's well, first of all. Um, I just want to say I join everyone in the morning of the closing of Macy's. I've mm. lived in San Francisco almost 20 years and bought lots of shoes at Macy's. Mm. Um, and, you know, I, to me, it's it's um, it's just uh, such an important part of our city and especially Union Square. So um, yeah. mo mo moment of silence. Um, 
But, you know, I think really it's 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 not that different hmm. from what we're seeing across, um, you know, central business districts and cities across, especially in our gateway cities. Um, and I think what, what it really boils down to is kind of more more monoculture um, type uses that uh, that just are not sustainable over time. Um, Macy's big department stores, it's just really kind of one big retail use. And um, it, it's really, um, it, it's just pretty, it's it's unsustainable. And I think the pandemic really sh- shined a light on that. I think our downtown district is very similar in its concentrated office use. Um, yeah. And we're, we're witnessing that uh, right now in the city. So, so if you could wave a wand, you wouldn't just stick another retailer in there. I think that's I think it's not going to work. I think um, I think it's too big. Um, it's almost half a million square feet of, of real estate and the floor plates are almost 50,000 square feet. Um, so I think one single use one 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 kind of purpose is 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 not going to work anymore. I think we really imagine a, a space like that, especially given its proximity to Union Square, uh, having more of a mixed use solution that'll really um, create more vibrancy and um, and and, and create a better destination for people that will that will be attractive to not just tourists but also locals. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I think this show, you know, Peter's column brought out and just the the calls and comments are pouring in now, can there be another use that has this kind of magnetism, right? I mean, you're hearing all these memories. How many people have attached a piece of themselves to this building and, and this place? It seems difficult to come up with another use or even a set of uses that would have that kind of charisma. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think I think it would be great if Macy's could stay in some capacity or um, with a smaller footprint. But I I think, um, you know, it's really about what does Union Square need? Because to Mm -hmm. me, Macy's is really um, part and parcel to that that whole larger experience Mm -hmm. of that district. And we, we are really thinking a lot more about not just individual buildings, but neighborhoods and districts. You mentioned earlier, there's, you know, there are these great vibes happening in neighborhoods. And I think we need to kind of start thinking about Macy's as part of, um, a neighborhood and what hmm. and what what's missing from Union Square now it's got great retail but I think it's missing more um, mm-hmm. more experiential social um, spaces and mm-hmm. quite frankly um, it's a food desert out there so how can we start creating um, spaces like that for people that complement the bones of Union Square and, and its existing retail yeah you know, for so long, if, if people are really interested in hearing more about Union Square, we did a, a whole show on what was happening in Union Square, got into a lot of the details of, of this stuff. So go ahead and search Union Square KQD Forum on, you know, wherever you get your podcast. Um, the, the question that I have long had about this is do cities actually need this retail block, right? Do Like, is that just part of like the city's economy that it actually needs it? Can you have a functioning, you know, central business district without that? kind of major presence? I don't think you need a concentrated retail district anymore. I think the answer is mixed use and and really getting a complement, a nice blend of different uses. And and that that's a combination of retail, that's office, that's residential, um, that's schools, right? It's a, and it starts to become that that neighborhood with that vibe that you mentioned earlier. Um, and I think our central business district and even Union Square are so primed um, to support that with all of the um, all of the public transportation that's there. And it becomes more resilient, right? It's it's something that's, uh, that sustains over time when we do have these um, ebbs and flows in, in the market and the economy. Yeah. But this specific building, right, it 
it's going to be difficult to convert to other things, right? Because of those huge floor plates, right? And because if you're going to put housing in, you need to have more light and stuff like that. We've done shows on this stuff too. Yeah. Mm. I don't think so. I think the building can be broken down um, into more kind of digestible sections. It's got a very kind of historic portion on the O'Farrell side that actually would lend itself partially to a residential conversion. I think, you know, we, uh, Gensler recently finished a project at 100 Stockton um, that was the old Macy's men's store. And that got converted. Um, we converted that into a, a mixed-use building, and um, and what it did was it it created um, you know individualized retail fronts on the ground floor, which are much more porous and accessible than your typical department store, um, and and then you know with vertical circulation that could get you up to the the various retail spaces above. But it's also you know it's got office space and convene just signed a lease there, and there's a new restaurant on top, the Chotomate. So um, I think there are good examples for, um, you know, how how it can be done. Each building is unique, but it's definitely achievable. Um, mm. Mm. So, yeah, I think it, I think it's it's a it's actually really primed for being a mixed use mm. development as a building. All right, let's slide back into the warm hot spring of nostalgia here. Okay, uh, yeah. Don, <laughs> let's go. Uh, Don in uh, San Francisco, welcome to the show. Hi, Alexis. Thanks for having me on. Um, I wanted to share two quick memories that speak to how Macy's was uh, provided jobs for mm. so many people who worked in the city. So for two summers, um, my first summer in between high school and college, and then my first summer in college, I actually worked as a greeter on the men's side. And this oh, at 100 Macy's, Stockton. Yeah. Yes, right. And this is when Macy's had a small team. It was like three or four of us, and we had these special like navy blue blazers and we would stand there right in front right behind there's this podium that had like what was on each floor and i would sit and i would say hi there welcome to macy's can i help you find something and i met so many local people who would shop there tourists from all over the world and it was such an amazing job for um for me i was a young person at that time and then the second memory is that my mom Worked for 30 years um, down at uh, Fox Hardware, which is now Cole Hardware, which is, you know, two blocks down on the other side of market. And so through her, I got to meet all of the folks who were like building engineers and people who designed the beautiful windows. And I mean, I have all these wonderful, amazing stories about going to look at the windows. And it was a it was a place that really did a lot to give people opportunity and, and find jobs locally. Oh, hey, Don. Wow. What a fantastic couple of memories. And you're making me think of like, you know how they have like a cutaway drawing where it'll show like how a machine works or like a Richard Scarry illustration of like, this is how a city works. I feel like that's what you got. You got to like be inside that, like wandering around talking with people and your mom. Oh, that's great. Um, Don in San Francisco, um, thank you. Thank you so much. And I also love that you used your greeter voice when you said, hi there. Welcome to Macy's. <laughs> Um, Peter, do, do you remember the greeters? Was that like a part of your experience of Macy's or were you like a teen who was like dodging them? Oh, I was dodging them. Uh, <laughs> I was a very self-conscious teen, but uh, I, I remember so many other other wonderful things there. And and I, I do remember it's it's you can't explain this to kids now, but places like Macy's, places like Cal Academy, they were built like labyrinths and it was all about what's going to be around the next corner because mm. you don't know. And I don't know if the, the newer generations have that attention span. They want to know what's there. So when we're talking about 
what can it be now? I mean, you look at Stonestown Mall, it's turned into a food mall. It's about going there and having the experience and knowing what you're going to get. And I have to imagine that's in the future for Macy's as well. You know, maybe there's a whole floor that's some sort of experiential meeting place. Maybe there are other places that are food. I I have to imagine it's a reinvention like that, or maybe even something that we're not expecting. Uh, we're talking about the announced closing of Macy's in Union Square, joined by Peter Hartlob, culture critic for the San Francisco Chronicle, as well as Amy Campbell, building transformation and adaptive reuse leader at Gensler. We did say, we gave you this writing prompt, um, that you could write about one of your memories of Macy's in or around or that somehow touched on it, and they're coming in. Um, one listener writes, we adopted our dog out of the Macy's window 11 years ago. Another listener writes, Nothing as sexy for gay men as Macy's men's underwear selection on the first floor of the men's shop. And the post office in Macy's main store, shout out Peter Hartlob, and the main floor fragrances there, so elegant, a gay man's memories. Andrea writes, I had my first job in visual merchandising at Macy's after taking a class at City College taught by the Union Square fashion director. I was then later in charge of creating all of the shops for the juniors floor, styling mannequins and several large scale murals throughout the store. I worked with so many amazing people, including the senior staff that had been doing windows in the late 50s who talked about working on displays in Paris. One more here. A uh, listener writes, meet me on the furniture floor at Macy's, I wrote to three gay friends. I need your help in selecting a couch. At 6 p.m., we found one another and shopped together. We sat and laid down on various couches, too. They were all six feet tall and could easily lie down. This one, I asked. Yes, get it, Lizzie, they exclaimed. I bought the $2,000 couch in 2000 for my 50th birthday and still have it to this day. I loved it that day, and I love it now. My college friend predicted that I would meet a six-foot-tall boyfriend, and I did. <laughs> um, I love these memories. Um, keep them coming. I, I love when you take the time to write them like that, too. It's so fun. You can write into forum at kqed.org with your Macy's memories. You can give us a call. The number is 866-733-6786. Of course, you can also go on Discord. You can post your pictures there if you had them. That'd be fun to see. Um, and, yeah, and we'll be back with more with Peter Hartlob uh, and Amy Campbell from Gensler. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more right after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're here just creating a time capsule for Macy's, which has announced that it's closing in Union Square. We're joined by Amy Campbell, Building and Transformation Adaptive Reuse Leader at Gensler, the big design firm, as well as Peter Hartlob, culture critic for the San Francisco Chronicle. Um, you know, Peter, when, before I, I go back to the phones, um, people may, there might be someone out there who's going, why are we eulogizing a store? You know, this capitalist concoction that's sitting there, you know, in the in the beating heart of the city. Like, what do you do you think it's a good thing to have this kind of relationship to to a, a company's, you know, retail location? Absolutely. Absolutely. You said it. You use the word charisma. And I think that's a really great way to put it. This place had charisma. It felt like a, a real breathing, living place to us because, again, the memories are so great. I think as a child, my my greatest memory is, you know, we would we would bring sandwiches to Candlestick Park. I never got to eat out. We'd go to my grandmother's and drive by the Jack in the Box and never stop. I remember at Macy's, we stopped and ate at a diner. Little thing. It was probably Mama's, but big, big impact for me. As an adult, I mentioned 50 Cent. He was selling cologne as a reporter, one of my first uh, Chronicle Jobs was to go to 50 Cent and talk about his cologne, and 50 Cent, the rapper, spent a long time telling me how to properly put on cologne so that <laughs> you don't uh, exude too much smell. 50 Cent's giving me just this master class in glands and how to put the cologne in the right place. It wasn't a store. I mean, it wasn't just about buying something. It was about going there and having an experience, having a memory, a core memory, shout out Inside Out and Pete Doctor, and walking away with that. So anybody who says, oh, it's just a store, it's a store closing, I think that's pretty unsentimental. Mm. And I'm guessing the people who are saying that weren't there like a lot of the other mm. of us were. Mm. Let's bring in uh, Sandia in San Francisco. Welcome. Thank you, Alexis. Um, yeah, Macy's closing is just, it's such a sad thing, but it's such a lovely tribute that you guys are doing. Thank you. Um, my story um, is is a tradition that my two best friends, Lori and Prithal, and I have had of for about the last 25 years. Every Christmas, we do what is called our lipstick lunch. <laughs> and <laughs> I know, um, we'd go to Macy's, we'd get all dressed up, go to Macy's while the kids were in school and um, sit down at the makeup counters, get our makeup done um, and then choose one lipstick to each by the other and uh, then go out to lunch. Uh. And we've done this for, you know, almost 25 years. Our kids are all grown up and, um, and gone, you know, to college or after college and their jobs and everything. And we used to pick them up after our lunch and bring them back and look at mm-hmm. look at all the puppies and cats in the windows, uh, watch the lighting of the tree, sometimes go ice skating. I mean, just this, it's mm. just like this integral part of our Christmas memories and traditions. Yeah. Um, just, I bought my first ornaments there. I love the Christmas shop. They, I mean, they have their own little Christmas ornament shop. Yeah. 
<laughs> what do you what do you think you're gonna do once it's gone? Do you think you'll keep keep it up and just like move it around the block? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, the last time we went there, it was like a tomb. It was so depressing. Mm. You know, mm. it wasn't that makeup counters anymore. Not anyone serving them. We couldn't get three people to do our makeup at one time in three chairs, and it was so empty. It was. It was didn't feel like it did mm. before and like it did before the pandemic. And so, yeah, I mean, we still do it, but we we will still do it, but it won't be Macy's, I guess. Yeah. Oh, Sandy, thank you so much. That's a great, um, it's a great, great reflection. It's also just, man, the way that we carve ourselves into the places we live. It always gets me doing this job. Um, let's bring in uh, Deb in San Leandro. Welcome, Deb. Hi there. I was just thinking, I grew up in Alameda, and so we had a parallel experience in the 60s and early Mm. 70s in Oakland. We would go, we would take the 51 bus over from Alameda to Oakland, and we would go to Capwell's, and it was our equivalent of Macy's. We would go to the perfume counter and smell perfumes because we wanted to buy them for our moms, and then we would eat lunch there. And then when my kids were in the late 80s, early 90s, there was no, you know, Capwells to go to. So then we would get on BART and go on over to San Francisco. And we would go to Macy's. We'd go, of course, look at the windows. We'd go up on the, I think it was the fifth floor that was the Christmas floor. And as I recall, there was also on the top, I'm trying to remember if it was the roof of what department store in San Francisco that had a very small carnival with um, a small Ferris wheel. Peter, I don't know if you remember that, but I that remember be that. That would be the Emporium. Wanna... Yeah, the Emporium. The Emporium. Had, there we go. Um, yeah. We have right. we have photos of that. If you Google it, I've I've done a couple stories on it. Yeah, they had uh, okay. roof rides up there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, all of that is gone. And we used to go to FAO Schwartz where they had life size Lego astronauts <laughs> and a control board for the space shuttle. I mean, it's just it's kind of sad because that my kids remember that they're you know in their thirties now and they totally remember all of those memories. So anyway, thank you for wow. having this show. Yeah, it's so hey, great. <laughs> thank you, Deb. For those who uh, don't know what Capwell's was, it became the Sears. Then it was briefly known as the Uber Building, and now it's called Uptown Station. But definitely not a uh, department store anymore. Um, you know, I, I could I could keep going with nostalgia, but um, we mentioned the Emporium, and I do want to ask you uh, both, Peter um, and Amy, just about that across the street, basically, just you know, uh, in the Westfield Shopping Center. It's now going to be called the Emporium Center uh, of San Francisco. Actually, I just read about it in the Chronicle, Peter. So maybe why don't we um, start with you? Um, how much do you think the redevelopment of that mall is kind of tied into making something new out of Union Square? Or do you see them as kind of two distinct uh, problems or propositions? I think they're intertwined. I think it's a citywide issue. And I don't think it's a make or break thing. I I mean, you look historically, there's a lot of times um, on the waterfront in the 70s when the fishing um, went Mm -hmm. away and and, and, uh, container ships became the new thing. Everybody was talking about a, you know, portside doom loop back then. They had another word for it. And then Pier 39 came in and everybody hated it. It got horrible reviews in the Chronicle. And now we look back and have to say that was a huge success. It was a success for tourism, success for small business and artists. And right now, I, you know, I, I think you're missing out if you don't go out there and go to Musée Mécanique and get a double Irish coffee at <laughs> Buena Vista <laughs> Cafe and watch the swimmers at Aquatic Park. Maybe the future for 
Nordstrom and Macy's is something like that, something we're not thinking about, mm. something that sounds crazy right now and is going to transform our city in a good way. It's happened so many times before, and I wish people would think of that way instead yeah. of, oh, this is just cratered and it's over. Amy, um, craziest idea for the retail spaces uh, like Macy's or the, the mall? Well, we did do a study uh, at Westfield Mall to turn it into a soccer stadium. <laughs> <laughs> you can find those renderings online. Wow. Um, I do. I do think that that the t- two differentiators with those two locations in in my mind, or uh, problems or opportunities rather, uh, is that you've got Muni, which comes underground on Westfield Mall, which kind of just creates a connectivity opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, we had looked at that also as maybe a satellite campus for one of the higher ed institutions in the Bay Area. Like maybe that could be a Stanford campus or a UC Berkeley campus uh, that's urban, which I think is a really cool idea. And then you could take some of these distressed hotels and make them student housing. Um, I think the opportunity at Macy's is Union Square. And I think that when we start to think of them as districts, it um, we can get a little bit more surgical and specific about the solution. Yeah. Um, I'm going to run through a few more listener uh, comments and back to the phones. Um, some of these are, are very fun. First, we have to have a hater. A listener writes, I won't miss Macy's Union Square at all. I found the service terrible. I couldn't find anyone to open locked dressing rooms, and there were no great bargains. I always preferred Nordstrom. That's the downtown store I miss where I could get good service and the prices were comparable. Just always good to know there's a diversity of opinions represented here on Forum. Uh, Jason writes, I grew up in San Francisco and had a cable access television show on Channel 29 during my high school years. For one episode, my friend and I wandered the downtown Macy's store with our camcorder. We played pranks on customers, interviewed employees, and most importantly, ran the wrong direction on escalators and leaped from one to another. I believe the episode ended with security escorting us out from the store. I'll never forget filming there and hope to find that episode someday. Liz writes, dropping this note about my memory of the men's basement food court and their wonderful onion soup. It was over 40 years ago, but I still remember making the trips downtown almost every weekend with my parents just to have the onion soup with the super cheesy crust on top, a warm memory of a fun time with my folks. Thank you, Macy's. This one I hadn't heard yet, Peter. You're going to like this one. A listener writes, the least known but the best, cheapest, and most efficient watch repair shop in the world, tucked away on a corner on the 7th or 8th floor. As a friend remarked when the news came out, the fun of going to Macy's was in the looking, but sadly that hasn't been true for several years. Last one. Listener writes, I, re- I think the future of retail can be seen at Stonestown Mall on 19th Avenue. The Macy's, which closed down years ago, is now Whole Foods. There's a great sports basement, which is a local retail chain, a Trader Joe's, and amazing Asian bakeries and restaurants. It's a retail destination with a point of view, and it feels vibrant. Um, did you ever go to the watch repair store, Peter? I, I never did. Um, there's so many secrets in Macy's, and I went there a lot <laughs> that I didn't know about. Just reading in the Chronicle old, old old stories, there was a helicopter pad on top of the building. Who knew? Who was using it? I don't know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's still things to discover there. I guess it's going to be open a little bit longer, but I'm not surprised if people come up with, you know, amazing things there because it was a huge space and who could explore it all. Yeah. Um, uh, Gabrielle, uh, in Santa Rosa, welcome. Oh, thank you. Well, uh, my friend and I went in our teenage years had grown up very restricted. Now we're in our rebellious years. So we were very dressed up, 
shopping in Macy's, and all of a sudden we'd done some minor modeling. So on a dare, we both pretended there was a fashion show going on, and we walked out. And we did our modeling turns and walked back and we'd trade off places and the crowd gathered. They really thought it was a fashion show. <laughs> <laughs> and then another time I was on a lunch break and my friend and I were bored and we were shopping in Macy's and enjoying all the holiday decor and the outfits. And this mannequin, the way she was positioned, her the way her head was tilted with her hat kind of falling to one side and the way her hand was ra- her arm was raised up with her hand in an angle she really looked like she was drunk so we added a little extra and we slipped her dress down so that her one of her breasts was exposed so it looked like she was so drunk. Gabrielle! Her clothes were falling <laughs> off. And we hid behind the wall, and we got to hear all these people going by and cracking up. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Those are uh, two core memories, as Peter Allop would put it. Um, I really appreciate your time, your hijinks um, in uh, in the Macy's. Uh, let's bring in uh, Kathy in Belmont. Welcome, Kathy. Hi, Alexis. Thank you. This makes me remember so many things that I hadn't uh, thought about in years. First, one of my most vivid memories, my sister was in the Peace Corps in Ecuador for two years, up in the high, I guess it's the Andes, mm-hmm. and came home and lived with us and I thought she needed a, a makeover. So we took her, I took her to Macy's. After 15 minutes of walking around in Macy's trying to find a dress, she completely freaked out. It was just too much stuff, uh, too much consumerism, just too much. And then the coup de grace was when we tried to go outside. It was on a different level than we had come in. So she was spatially freaked out. Yeah. She She's like, where have you taken me to an alternate dimension of yeah. American consumerism? Yeah. Just just completely freaked. Oh my uh, that's God. kind of the, yeah, that she since uh, many years later has shopped happily at Macy's. <laughs> but, um, we bought our son's wedding tux at Macy's in the city, and, oh. and the staff was fabulous. Oh. So helpful. He's a big guy, and there were some problems, but it, it they were just amazing. They made it work. Um, yeah. Uh, Kathy, well, hey, thank you so much uh, for that one as well. I like imagining your sister as like a character in a Don DeLillo book, like trying to figure her way out of this place. Uh, Thank you so much. Um, We have um, some more amazing uh, comments as well that have come in. Thank you for the people who took the time to write these in. You know, Allison writes, I just want to give a shout out to the beautiful marble clad women's restroom on the sixth floor of Macy's, which at one time was voted one of the top 10 public restrooms in the United States. It would be great if it could be preserved in whatever the building evolves into. Also, I love, I just love in general that there was a vote for the top 10 uh, public restrooms uh, in the United States. I would actually think that normally San Francisco would win for, you know, the opposite uh, list. Um, Another one on the restroom. Um, Among the many memories over the decades, this one stands out. Macy's had taken over at iMagnon and there were very cozy Christmas department with Christopher Radko ornaments. I bought many for my son's first Christmas tree and gave them uh, still 30 years later. And let's not forget the awesome green marble walls and spa-like women's restroom. Two also on music. My brother was a one-man band who played in front of Macy's at Christmas time one year. 
His music and presence, along with other street performers like the steel drum musician and the smell of Morrow's nut house roasting nuts wafting over the sidewalk, blended into the visual and sonic tapestry of many people on the streets in Union Square art in San Francisco. And another listener writes, there was a time in my young professional violin career when I got hired to play many events in many Bay Area Macy's. I joked that we, a guitar and violin duo, should go on a national Macy's tour. The best was when my guitar friend's mom was a Macy's shoe buyer who would hire us for all the shoe sales. I would play our music while lusting over the shoes I wanted. I inevitably spent my gig money paying for our shoes. Peter Hartlob, um, what is your, I just want to get from both of you, Amy and Peter, this is not your professional opinion as a culture critic or as a transformation and adaptive reuse leader, but your own personal out of your soul, what would be your dream for it to happen at that space where the Macy's is now? Peter Hartlob, you first. You know, I interviewed uh, Darcy Drollinger, our drag laureate, right around when Nordstrom closed. And we came to the great conclusion that the Nordstrom should be a drag emporium, the biggest drag emporium (laughs) in the world where people can come and get their nails done one place and buy one kind of wig here and another kind of wig here. Let's think bigger and make Mm -hmm. the drag emporium Mm -hmm. in Macy's. And then I liked Mark Hogan's suggestion to turn... Uh, Westfield Center into a giant Lego land type structure. <laughs> that's so, beautiful. Not that uh, I've been thinking about this, but yes. Yeah. Oh, that's so hard to top. Come on, Peter. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Should have gotten Amy first. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess I'd love to see it as a cultural destination, like a place that we can really express the like authenticity of San Francisco mm-hmm. from the arts to the music to the diversity of our people. Like to mm-hmm. me, having a destination like that would be so killer. Mm-hmm. I say give it to the poets. That's my, uh, that's, my that's my new thing for all San Francisco. Things. Give it. it to the poets. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we've been talking about the announced closing of Macy's in Union Square with Amy Campbell from Gensler. She's a building transformation adaptive reuse leader. Thank you so much for joining us as well as Peter Hartlob, culture critic for the San Francisco Chronicle. Thank you so much much, Peter. The 9 o'clock hour of Forum is produced by Blanca Torres, Grace Wan, and Dan Zoll. Our interns are Emiko Oda and Annie Burton. Marlena Jackson Rotondo and Jennifer Ng are engagement producers. Francesca Benzi is our digital producer on the Discord. Shout out. Judy Campbell's lead producer. Danny Bringer, Catherine Monahan, Chris Beal. Uh, we got a lot of engineers. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tobin Lindsay, and our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Thank you so much to everyone for sharing your memories of Macy's and the city. I felt like I was in an Armistead Moppin novel all day today. Um, I'm Alexis Madrigal. Stay tuned for more uh, with uh, Mita Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. 
Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.